You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. I'm Christian Babcock, the host of the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. And what we do on the podcast is we talk to disruptive companies in the outdoor industry, talk about innovative hunting solutions that are changing the landscape, as well as offer you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All in all, I just want to help you become a better hunter by providing you with high-quality knowledge and information that you can trust. Stay tuned. What's up, podcast listeners? This week, I'm joined by Lindsay Thomas of the Quality Deer Management Association. We are covering the science behind deer vision. I know a ton of you guys are super either pumped that you fooled some deer's vision or pretty pissed about it but either way um i'm gonna give you or actually Lindsay's gonna give you some very practical tips and advice and ways to think about deer vision and a lot of stuff that i didn't know before this podcast hope you guys enjoy so this week on the podcast i am joined by Lindsay thomas jr uh he's a director of communications at the qdma uh, why don't you just give the listener a little bit of context into, you know, what you do and, uh, yeah, what you do at the QDMA. Okay. Thank you for having me on, Christian. Um, I am, like you said, Director of Communications at QDMA. We're the Quality Deer Management Association. My role there is producing QDMA's membership magazine, Quality Whitetails, uh, that goes out to all of our members. And also producing and, and directing all other communications like social media, email, messaging, um, and the website. Uh, so it's a, it's a, a lot of hats to wear and we've got a pretty small crew. I've got a team of, there's four of us total, um, including me. Um, but that's sort of the nonprofit world. QDMA is a nonprofit wildlife conservation group and we try to do a lot for whitetails with a little. How, how much time have you spent at the QDMA and have you hold, held different or various roles throughout your time there? No, I've uh, been a communications director since I came on board uh, 16 years ago in September. So I've uh, been here quite a while, I guess now over half the organization's history. Um, the difference is that when I came on board, you know, 16 years ago, social media and even the website uh, and email wasn't as big uh, of a factor for us in communications as it is today. So those things have evolved over time, and I've gone from basically just being the magazine guy to uh, the team that handles uh, everything and and really today, as you know, digital communications means that we spend really the majority of our time now, day to day, engaging folks on social media and through the website and through email. Uh, and the magazine has really kind of become um, almost secondary uh, to digital communications. That's how things have changed in the time I've been here. Yeah, now definitely an evolving world, and I think you guys do do a great job of communicating. Uh, you know what's the latest in deer research i actually saw something on your twitter i think it was yesterday you're talking about the number of yearling deer taken in or bucks that were yearlings in new york went from 70 percent to to 40 percent over i don't know how long of a span but you guys do i think do a great job of keeping people in the loop that way too well thank you that's yeah and, and it's we're all nuts about this stuff all of us that work at qma are deer hunters and just really you know love this type of, of information so it's just uh, fun to, to play a part in getting it out there to hunters and sharing it. Right. So I, I think we had originally synced up because I had an inquiry about deer vision. 
Um, it's something that I'm super interested in. I, I'm kind of baffled by at times. And so I would just like to get your take on, you know, what are the, some of the uh, biggest misconceptions that hunters might have about, about deer vision? Well, you know, I think color is the big one. That's one of the big questions we hear a lot is, you know, can they see my orange vest? Uh, what colors can deer see? Um, that's one. Uh, and then another one is, you know, well, I'm up in a tree stand. Can deer see me up here? Uh, just questions about, you know, what it comes down to for most of us, which is how can I effectively hunt and get a shot at a deer, particularly, you know, when you're talking about bow hunting and getting in bow range of a deer, how can I pull that off without the deer seeing me? Um, so yeah, it really comes down to that. And we do know a pretty good bit about deer vision and, and how to answer those questions. Yeah. So to start off, what would be the main differences between, say, the way that a human would view its environment apart from color and the way that a deer would view its environment and how they see those things? Yeah, there's several significant differences, kind of key differences to understand here. And a lot of what I'm going to talk about here is work that's been done over the years by the University of Georgia Deer Lab. They've done a number of studies over the years focusing on deer vision. Some of it was done in partnership with the Georgia Department of Transportation, who was really trying to find out what can we do to keep deer off highways and out from under cars. Hmm. Um, so UGA has really uh, sort of led in this area and discovered a lot of things. But some of the basics, Christian, are let's, let's talk first about where the deer's eyes are located on their head. Um, you know, compared to us, your deers, your, your eyes are on the front of your face, just like on a hawk's or on a bobcat's or any other predator, whereas the deers are around on the, more on the side of their head um, and, and less looking forward. And what that allows for, if you, if you imagine yourself looking down on the top of a deer's head or on the top of your own head and imagine what the field of view is like, um, I like to kind of picture a pizza, like a dial you know, a circular dial going around the head of the deer or the person. Well, a deer's field of view, if it's a pizza, take out one slice in the back of the deer's head. That's the only part it can't see at any time without moving its head. It's a 300-degree field of view, um, just standing still without moving their eyes. Whereas for you and I, we can really only see half the pizza standing looking straight forward. You know, you're out to the left and out to the right without moving your eyes your peripheral vision, you know, out at uh, your over your right and left shoulder is okay. You can see some things out there. It's not great, but uh, your best vision is really straightforward. Um, you know, our binocular overlap is about 120 degrees. That's the field that both of your eyes cover at the same time. Um, and so we're very good at looking forward and focusing on things in that field. Whereas a deer's overlap, the binocular overlap is only about 65 degrees. So they are not very good at eyeballing things, focusing on things. They are better at monitoring that giant band of area all the way around them, from behind their left ear all the way around to behind their right ear, and watching that at all times. Um, so there's a key difference, is the field of view. Um, another one is the deer's, the shape of the deer's pupil. Uh, you have a round pupil, deer have a slotted or horizontal pupil just like many people that own goats or horses that have stood up close to one of these animals has may have noticed that the pupil is a slot a horizontal slot and the same is true of deer and what that does is 
really gives the deer its best vision and its best focus at the horizon level. So picture again that wheel of vision going all the way around from left to right. It's really best at looking at what's happening on the horizon all the way around that complete circle due to those horizontal pupils. Uh, so again, think about this in terms of a prey animal. And that's what a deer is. Uh, they're very good at looking for danger coming at them at ground level all the way around them. Uh, your pupils round. Uh, it is very good at focusing on small things, focusing on objects in the distance, um, and not very good at seeing many things at once. So for example, you're sitting there watching a deer you want to hunt. Um, if another deer comes out to the left, you're going to have to move your eyes or move your head to focus on the other deer. Whereas a, a the deer itself can sit there without even moving its head and be monitoring movement in a much larger field. Um, so there's another difference is the pupil. Um, and then finally, once you get into the insides of the deer's eye, and we can get into all the details and terminology, but the bottom line is they're very well adapted for seeing in low light conditions and seeing very well in low light conditions. Now, when I say very well, keep in mind that we are well ahead of deer in terms of focal acuity, visual sharpness and color, things like that, details. Deer just do not see as well as we do in the fine details. Their eye just didn't set up for that. Um, whereas, you know, you and I can, can sit here and look at a deer uh, 50 yards away and, and count antler points and things like that. Uh, their vision isn't set up that way. It doesn't need to be. So when I say, you know, they're particularly good at seeing in the dark, they are from a predator avoidance standpoint. It doesn't necessarily mean they see great compared to what, you know, the quality of your own vision. Yeah. So would you, one way that I've heard it put before is like, you know, instead of us looking at one thing and being able to focus on one thing and moving to, you know, from one thing to the other, is they kind of see holistically as like one picture. Is that is that a, a like an accurate representation? Like they see all this in one picture, it's one big canvas, and they are they're very attuned to small movements in that canvas, but they they don't focus in on those little details. That's right. Um, and the movement was a key word that you said there. Um, the other thing UGA uh, has learned here in some more recent research was looking at processing speed. Basically, you know, uh, trying to put it in, into camera or computer terms, how fast does the deer, deer's eyes and brain process the images that are coming in? And they're better than us at that. They're much faster at processing imagery. And basically what that means is very good at detecting movement. Um, you know, when, when something rushes by, if you've got a fast shutter speed camera, you're going to get all that detail and be able to slow down and look at you know, a lot of frames and see exactly what happened. But in a slower shutter speed camera uh, that's taking fewer frames of that action, any one frame is going to be a blur. That's basically our vision, whereas with a deer, again, that high processing rate is in that field of view you're talking about, even though their focus is sort of spread out over a broad area. If anything moves in that field of view, they are very good at getting on that right away and picking it up. Um, so again, you know, from a from a prey standpoint, finding movement. You know, when I when I said that they sort of had this this horizontal band where their vision is best along the horizon, that's true, but it doesn't necessarily mean they don't see anything at their feet or over their head. They do. It's just that their their greatest focus and sharpness 
uh, is going to be along that band of the horizon. They can still see things above them, as anybody who's ever hunted them out of a tree stand knows, um, and catch movements up there. Um, but that processing speed is sort of what allows them to quickly detect potential danger. Again, they don't, like you said before, they don't really focus like we do. If you've ever had a, a deer sort of spot you but, but not really be certain of what you are, what does it do? <laughs> it moves its head and tries to get a better view. <laughs> That's right. It'll bob its head or, or up and down or side to side or step to the side and lean and try to look at you from a little bit different angle. It's trying to do a couple things, sort of focus on you, and also sort of get the sense of, of depth and distance because they can't, they don't have the depth perception we have and they don't have the focusing ability that we have. They actually don't even really focus very well at all. The, the muscles around their lens, you know, you have muscles around the lens in your eye that, that distort the lens that allow you to focus. So without moving your head, you're looking at an object that's 10 feet away and then you move your eyes to look at an object that's two feet away your focus shifts to a, to focus on the new closer object. They can't do that. They don't have strong muscles in their eye to handle focusing, and their lens is much thicker. It's not flexible like ours is. So when a deer is bobbing its head side to side or up to down looking at you, it's trying to figure out what you are, get a better sense of how big you are, how far away you are, and try to get a sense of what you are. Uh, that's their really, you know, their workaround for trying to focus. Yeah. So how would you go about, um, I know we were talking about, they have ex extremely good horizontal vision. You know, they're very apt to things coming at them from almost all directions besides a very small portion of the back of their head. And sometimes it seems like they can even see that. But, yeah. uh, so how, from a hunting perspective, how does this affect how you're going to set up in the woods? I know that a lot of, some people are, uh, maybe more accustomed to blind hunting. Uh, they don't like climbing trees or some people are only tree stand hunters. What kind of implications do you think this has on those two different types of like hunting applications? Yeah, a couple of things. For one thing, just remembering if you're going to hunt out of a ground blind or in some kind of a natural blind or in any way on the ground, you're choosing to hunt in the deer's absolute uh, best zone for finding you. Um, you're in the toughest zone for trying to get drawn on a deer or move with, without being detected or even just not being detected sitting there. Um, so you have to keep that in mind. If you're hunting out of a ground blind, you know, you need to watch your silhouette. Don't open the back window and be sitting there with a silhouette uh, showing. A lot of people that I know that use ground blinds effectively, in fact, uh, Jake Grages is a wildlife biologist who works for us in Missouri. He's a cooperative specialist. He just wrote an article uh, last week for our website on ground blind hunting, you know, and what he advises is wear a black hoodie and close the windows up. Don't ha don't be backlit and don't have any light on you. You want to be as dark in there as possible so that, you know, bottom line, the deer can't see you and your movements are not easily detected in there. Um, and then, you know, uh, the other thing too is don't just pop up a ground blind this morning and go jump in it to go deer hunting. You know, if you can get that ground blind out there, days or even weeks before you intend to hunt it and particularly add some natural vegetation because again in that in this in the ground zone where deer are most sensitive to any kind of danger they're very good at picking out shapes that don't belong um they may not be able to focus well and they may not have the sharpest vision in the world like we do but they sure enough as you know can spot something that doesn't look right and doesn't 
belong and something they need to check out real quick, particularly silhouettes and, and you know, well-defined objects like a big blocky ground blind. So I always like to throw as much vegetation and vines and limbs and, and brush that thing in as well as you can to break up the outline of the ground blind itself. You know, the more you can look like a, a deadfall tree, the better. And in many times, finding a tree that has blown over and sort of maybe brushing in a, a little blind without an actual pop-up blind might work better. Um, you just got to make sure you've got, you know, room to maneuver in there and you're not going to be spotted. But, you know, ground, ground hunting is tough. Um, you got to watch your scent, of course. Um, you got to make sure you're not making any noise. Uh, you're definitely, that's, that's probably one of the biggest challenges uh, there is in the deer hunting world is to kill one on the ground. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to tree stand hunting, just remembering how good they are at spotting motion um, and trying to do your best to give, you know, uh, everybody dreads the situation where three, four, five does come in or, uh, you know, a buck comes in and he's got a couple of younger bucks with him or a couple of does in the area where you've got multiple sets of eyes you're trying to, to work against. Man, is that tough. Um, and remembering how good they are at, at spotting the motion is just just key there. And even up in a tree stand, um, remembering to break up your outline and not be skylighted. I believe in good camo, but good camo is part of your background. You know, it has to have something to break you up into. You have to have some limbs or some leaves behind you or, you know, tucked in around you. So I believe in that strongly and is hiding yourself as best you can up in a tree. You know, you can have on the best camo in the world, but if you go up a pine tree with your climber and there are no limbs on it and there's no other limby trees around and you're just up there like a statue on this tree, um, you're very easily spotted by deer and, you know, they may not at first understand what you are, but they're going to see you and they're going to get suspicious and you don't want that. So always, uh, wear good camo and make sure you've got a good background to break yourself up into behind you. Yeah. I used to watch, uh, a show on Netflix called surviving the cut. And I think when the snipers were like outlined on a tree like that, they called it tree cancer. And I think that's exactly probably how the whitetails view it too. Like that's not a limb. Yeah. 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 So when it comes to tree stands, do you think the higher is the better? I know some people that are, you know, 14, 15 foot warriors. And there's some people that looks like they're trying to ride the amusement park ride. They get so high up there. I mean, what's, what's your personal preference? Where do you think that sweet spot of, you know, depending on terrain, just assuming this in an extremely flat environment that, you know, what, what range of, uh, you know, heights are you going to get? Um, me personally, the sweet spot is between, you know, 15 and 20 feet. I don't like to get higher than that, particularly bow hunting. Um, now if I'm, you know, late season doe hunt or something in a big open area and I've got a climber, I might go up a little higher, uh, with my rifle, but, um, bow hunting, uh, I'm the kind of hunter who likes, you know, a, a pass through double lung shot and hard if you can get it. And the higher up you are, you know, for, for a deer that gets up, tucked up close under you, that's a pretty hard angle. And I, I just don't like to, to have that situation, uh, very often. So I like to be, um, relatively low uh, i guess you'd say relatively low but at the same time to do that yeah you've got to pay even you know more time to your cover um i'm always when i'm, when I'm hanging uh, say a, a lock on and climbing sticks 
before the season, man, I spend a lot of time studying the, the trees I can choose from. And that's always a hard, one of the hardest choices for me in deer hunting is where to put that stand. You know, you might know the general area, but you're looking for the right tree that's going to be easy to climb, but also is going to give you some cover when you get up there. And sometimes if you don't find it and you've got to select a certain tree, then you've got some work to do. And I'll, I'll go cutting limbs and branches and palmettas and all kind of things tying them to a rope and hauling them up in there with me and constructing some kind of cover up in there if, if the natural cover is not available. Um, you just it's, you, it's, you can't overemphasize the importance of breaking up your outline up there, um, you know, to, to soften, because in the end, you have to move. Mm-hmm. In the end, you're going to have to draw your bow. You're going to have to pivot and get in position if, as the deer is moving or coming in or going away. Um, and some movement's going to have to be is, is necessary. So the more you can soften your outline and, and draw less attention up up there toward you, um, the better. And so yeah, that's just part of it to me. Yeah, I've seen that. I've actually been burned by that so many times uh, hunting some mountainous country. Uh, you know where every pine is twenty thirty foot plus tall and they all look exactly the same and they are they have absolutely no limbs on them for like 20 or 30 feet up and so like silhouetting i i've realized that silhouetting is something that is fatal out there in the deer woods and something i didn't previously know you know because there's a lot of i feel like there's a lot of misconceptions and um maybe uh, a lot of marketing dollars spent on that camo will absolutely fix everything and so from a vision perspective, like, what do you think the purpose of, of camo is? I think you touched on it a little bit. And do you think there are certain camos that could be maybe, um, you know, more beneficial than others in terms of hiding from a deer's vision? Um, you know, I like a, just a good natural camo that, that uh, I don't think any particular pattern has really got the, the, the game on everybody else. Uh, but I do like a good natural camo that tries to mimic natural patterns, trees, limbs, uh, leaves, and things like that, like what you're going to be up in. Um, so I think sometimes, obviously, it, it depends on where you're hunting. If you are um, in some deep, dark southern woods like I typically hunt, I go with a, a darker pattern, a pattern with more dark oak bark and things like that that's going to mimic the tree I'm going to be in. Uh, you know, if you're in lighter woods, woods with more white oaks where the bark is light, uh, the leaves tend to be lighter and skylighted, and you're sort of in more of a lighter setting, maybe go with a little bit lighter pattern. Obviously, out west, um, you're sometimes in even lighter sort of um, sage or almost desert-type cover, and, and you want to try to mimic that as much as, as you can because, again, you're trying to fade into the background. Um, it's not so much, you know, people, the old joke about, that non-hunters say about when you sit, tell them you're when you're wearing camo and they welcome say oh I almost didn't see you you know it's <laughs> not about it's not about becoming invisible that's not what camo does it's about blending in and breaking up your outline so that when a deer's eyes move over you they don't immediately go Ooh, man um, or strange object um, it's about you know fading into that background uh, so you know there's a lot of good camos out there obviously my favorite is is mossy oak. Um, I wear a lot of breakup country, and I love Bottomland, the old throwback camo. I'm in the South, and those are great patterns for me. Um, but, um, yeah, just give some thought to, you know, what's it going to look like up in there where you're going to be? How dark is it? How dark is the bark and the leaves? And how much sky is there? Um, and, and try to do a, a matchup if you can. 
Yeah, I think uh, matching your camo to your terrain really matters, and I think that's why a lot of different companies, you know, focus on different patterns in terms of waterfowl or open country or, uh, you know, like whitetail. There's a lot of different patterns from a lot of companies that are coming out. But so I know those those patterns and, and everything is affected by the colors that the deer actually see. What, you know, do you have any insight to know what colors they actually see? Like, is there any like graphics that you've seen that are like, these are the colors that they actually can pick up on versus, you know, us seeing in a full range of every color in the rainbow. What we know is this, and it comes from studying the rods and combs inside the, you know, in the retina of the deer's eye. And like I said, the University of Georgia has done a lot of this, literally dissecting eyes, studying them in other ways, um, computer analysis in all kind of ways, and comparing, you know, the numbers of rods and cones in their eye to ours, the types of cones. Cones are, of course, for those who don't know, that's where your color vision comes from and where your fine detail comes from. So obviously right off the bat, you can probably guess humans have a lot more cones than deer do, and we do, and we have them in different areas. Our cones are concentrated kind of in a circular uh, well in the back of our retina, you know, for giving us the best color and fine detail in, in, the, in the objects that we're focusing on. Uh, a deer's cones are distributed along a horizontal line. Again, here we go. It's kind of giving them um, those you know, the best detail along that horizontal line, but the density of cones is a lot lower. And what we know from the types of cones that they have in their eyes is deer see really two of the primary colors. We see blue, red, and green very well. Those are the three primary colors, and from those three, we get every other color that we see. Deer really only see blue and green in those wavelengths. They don't really see into the red-orange wavelength very well. So having analyzed this, what uh, researchers at UGA said is oranges and reds to a deer probably go brown to green to gray somewhere in there. Um, uh, so greens, uh, grays, browns, they're good at seeing. Uh, they're good at blue for whatever reason. I can't really explain that, but I'll tell you this. Don't wear blue jeans to the woods <laughs> um, because deer are very good. Blue stands out to them, very likely, of, of the primary colors that we know they'd be best at seeing that. They don't see red and orange, so end of story there. Don't worry about your orange vest. Um, as long as you know, you're wearing a vest or hat or something that, again, contributes to sort of breaking up the large blocky shape of your body, then the color itself is not going to be a problem. You know, if you're solid orange against a black background and, and a, you know, anybody looking at you, whether they could perceive the orange or not, would immediately see your outline, that is counterproductive, but it's not because you're wearing orange. So orange, you know, deer can't really see that. Um, it's been said that deer have color vision similar to someone with a red-green color deficiency um, or color blindness. Now, me personally, I actually have a red-green color deficiency, hmm. but it doesn't mean that I can't tell you what red is. I know what red is. I, I see all the colors in the spectrum. For me, mostly the biggest practical impact is I'm not a good blood trailer. Um, I'll be, you know, blood trailing with friends, and my buddies who can have normal color vision will be walking along, going, "There's blood. There's blood. There's blood. Here's blood," and I'm still back at the first blood on my hands and knees, going, "Wait, where?" Um, <laughs> It, you know, and once I finally see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. But red just does not pop for me, particularly against a background of greens. And so what has been said is deer are probably uh, similar in, in that regard, in that reds, oranges, and things like that don't pop to them. 
they probably don't even see red and orange as well as I do. Um, because again, I can look at red and tell you it's red and orange is orange. I know my colors, but small amounts of it, particularly against brown and green, don't jump out to me as well unless I'm up close. So, um, so yeah, that's that's the color. Don't wear blue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think my gramps wore a ton of blue, but I don't really see a ton of big white tails on his wall either. I think he shot a lot of four points and a lot of spikes with his rifle. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the old red and black checked coat oh, yeah. that so many of the old-time deer hunters wore? Uh, you know, that's actually pretty effective camo for deer. Uh, breaks up the silhouette. The red is not. Uh, it's a good safety color for a hunter, but not something that's going to alert the deer. Yeah. Now, that's really interesting. So, in terms of, of low light, you, you were talking about how they, they see extremely well in low light. And, you know, that's interesting to me because... I honestly feel a lot more comfortable moving in low light. So I know I've, I've been presented a lot more shot opportunities while, you know, in these low light environments, it's tend, it tends to be when the, when the deer are moving the best. So, you know, what, what do you think the decrease in or increase is of how much better or worse they see in low light? And, you know, how can we kind of take advantage of that from a hunting perspective? Yeah, I'm not sure there's much to be had there in terms of advantage. Deer, you know, we know from other science, deer move most at dawn and dusk. They are crepuscular animals. Uh, yeah, there's some movement through the middle of the day, and there's some at night, um, with uh, night being lower than midday, but neither one being as high as dawn and dusk movement. Those are the peak times of movement for deer any day, any time of season, any year, any location. That's just what the science shows. They are crepuscular animals. Um, And their vision is adapted to help them, again, detect danger at those times when the sun is up, not up shining bright, but it's not completely dark in the the depth of night either. Um, Deer have uh, an organ in the the back of their eye behind the retina called a tapetum lucidum. Uh, A lot of prey animals have this, uh, and a lot of predators have it too. It's, It's meant for animals that are nocturnal and have night vision. When you shine a light at a deer and it shines back at you, you're seeing the tapetum lucidum. It is a liner behind the retina, and the purpose of it is basically give a deer's eye a double look at any information that's coming in, particularly in low light. The light, the image comes in through the retina, reflects off the tapetum, and goes back through the retina. So the retina, like I said, kind of gets a double pass at whatever image is coming through. Uh, And this sort of doubles and amplifies the light that's available, helps them see that image uh, better. It doesn't necessarily increase the clarity. In fact, it may reduce the clarity of the image, but it lightens it. Um, so, you know, predators, coyotes, other things that their eyes shine back at you, they have that organ. And in a deer's eye, uh, that tapetum lucidum uh, organ is really concentrated in the upper half of the retina from sort of the midline up. And the reason for that is, you know, that when light passes through the lens of your eye, it gets flipped and reversed. So the image being cast onto your retina is a reverse or upside down image of what you're looking at. Well, uh, therefore, with a deer, what they're seeing from the horizon down uh, in front of them on the ground would be cast onto the upper half of their retina. Therefore, that reflective layer is in the upper half of the retina to help amplify that particular information, the horizon and the ground in front of them. Um, so that's where they're you know, particularly good at seeing in those conditions, uh, in the dim light. Um, you know, when it's very dark, 
uh, cloudy night, no moon, no starlight. Um, they're just like everything else. They're still somewhat handicapped from a vision standpoint. But in uh, marginal light is where their eyes uh, really excel. They're not true nocturnal animals. That's not what their eyes are designed for. They are designed for dawn and dusk. Uh, that's really where they excel the most in vision. So, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. So, yeah, from a hunting standpoint, I mean, um, we're not out there trying to hunt them at night anyway, but we are trying to hunt them, you know, we're trying to be there in the woods when the sun's about to come up. And many times, many of the deer we see are either uh, after shooting light, but before the sun has actually risen, or after the sun goes down and before it's actually too dark to shoot. I mean, that's just when activity tends to peak. So, um, you know, just keep in mind that that doesn't, it might handicap you a little bit in terms of what you can see. And we go to our optics and, and our binoculars and things like that to help sometimes. But the deer is not having any trouble. They're in their best zone, again, for vision. So why do you think that deer tend, and at least in my experiences and, and several people that I know, that den, deer tend to move a lot at night in times of heavy moonlight or full moons? And, I mean, I always know that it's typically, for me, been a little tougher to hunt deer on nights that there's been full moon. It seems like they move quite a bit. It seems like they're already at the you know, the corn pile when you, when you show up, you know, when opposed to when it's really dark, they don't, they don't do that as much. Does it just raise activity when they have the ability, you know, to see, they have more light to, you know, use from the moon or how, do, how does that work in your experiences? Well, here's the thing, Christian, I'm going to go to the science and you're not going to like it <laughs> okay. um, because many hunters, even myself, before I really became a student and a journalist focused on focusing on the deer science and going to the researchers and looking at the data they had, many hunters believe what you just said. Yeah. Moonlight night, they're going to move all night. They're not going to move as much during the day. And I'm just telling you, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of data points from deer wearing GPS collars do not bear that out. Um, they continue to show that movements peak at dawn and dusk. There's sometimes some studies have shown a little bit of fluctuation. Uh, like, for example, uh, they might move later into the morning on a moon, during a full moon uh, and perhaps even start their movements a little earlier in the afternoon. But the differences are really not significant enough that most of us would notice. Um, so, again, the data is showing even throughout the night that uh, even during a full moon, that your peak periods of deer movement are still dawn and dusk, uh, with the lowest period being during the middle of the day, second highest being uh, through the night, and again, peaks at dawn and dusk. Um, so I'm not going to speculate on that question. Yeah, certainly as a deer hunter, I have believed that in the past, but I got to go with the data on this one. It's strong. A lot of studies, a lot of schools have looked at this, and they keep finding the same thing uh, over and over. And it, and it um, yeah, so there you have it. No, yeah, that's I. I work in marketing, so I I totally understand the the analytics and the data behind, and I tend to side with that. And that's that's actually really interesting because maybe it's a confirmation bias internally, or maybe that's the uh, the rationale that you bring up in your head when you spook them off the corn pile, and you're like, oh, full moon, there it is, you know. And then hearing that, I feel like that's such a that's such a long past uh, ideology throughout like most of the deer hunting community, and that's really interesting that you guys are finding data to refute that yeah i mean there's so many things in deer hunting that like you said confirmation bias is the key there we believe things we were taught these things by the people that taught us to hunt 
uh, and told this is how it works, and so you just accept that. And when you see something, one little anecdotal thing, like the deer was at the feeder when you got there, it just sort of feeds into what you already believe, and you go, yep, there, you know, there's the proof. Uh, but you don't have GPS collars on deer, and you don't have thousands of data points of their location throughout, you know, and what time of day and how much they were moving and th- across multiple seasons and in multiple states. Um, that's science. And when, you know, they, once they achieve these significant uh, uh, levels of significant data, um, that's the patterns that they're seeing. It just, it just doesn't, it doesn't bear out. Uh, so me personally, um, I've reached the point where a full moon, uh, really doesn't change my hunting pattern. I'm going to go when I can go. I'm going to hunt as long as I can. Um, you know, and, and understanding that most likely the peak is going to be uh, the first two hours of the day and the last hour of the day. Hmm. No, that's that's good to know. And I'm uh, I'm going to flush this out and see how I, if I uh, see any more coincidences, you know, while I'm hunting this season. But that's definitely <laughs> something that's something to to note. And I, I, that's a really cool point that you made. But in terms of, uh, you know, the five senses that we have and in terms of, I think deer have incredible senses in almost everything besides feel. I don't know how they feel anything with those hooves, but where would you, where would you rank vision in terms of the senses that they use, um, or in terms of importance of, of how they avoid predators? You know, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, they clearly rely on all of them. This is what makes them so difficult for us to hunt i mean look at this deer whitetails are four million years old they've been on this continent four million years there are predators that have eaten them that no longer exist uh saber-toothed cats and bear species that are extinct and wolves and all kinds of things that they have outlasted uh and now we've been eating them for 20 30,000 years or so on this continent and they're still here so, you know, this thing is very good at avoiding predators. And it's, it's that combination of vision, of hearing, of smell. Um, it would be tough to say we know their nose is very tough to defeat. Um, I would probably say hearing is least important of the three. We know that vision and nose is usually what defeats us. Uh, their hearing is really not that much better than ours or much different than ours, except that their ears the size and shape of their ears and the ability they have to pivot them independently that's the key they are extremely good at determining where a sound came from and far better than us at pinpointing the location of the source of a sound because of that ability to pivot those radar dishes um, and move them independently to point one forward and one back but i still would say that uh i would probably rank hearing you know near the back of the pack with vision and nose, man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't. I really don't know uh, what's best. I mean, they they rely on both. It's clear that, uh, for example, they don't have the vision to see acorns on the ground or, uh, you know, see to find detail that would allow them to pick out a ragweed plant next to a plant that's lower in quality. Uh, clearly, their nose is guiding them on those fine details. Uh, they're so good at finding plants that are the most nutritious. That's got to be nose or some other sense. Uh, it's not vision because they just don't have the capability to see that kind of detail. Yeah. No, that's 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 really interesting. I, I definitely would say if I had to make an intuitive guess that it would be vision for me because I know sitting on the ground with about a 
uh, a two foot by two foot hole in a blind door or in a in a blind opening and in five does. I don't know anything in the world that can move more than a couple inches at a time, and it's just really really impressive. I mean, something that I've been super interested in for a long time. Um, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast and you know explaining the, the the science behind it. I mean, is there any closing thoughts that you would like to comment to someone that's hunting this season that? You know, anything else that they would need to know about deer vision that maybe could help them improve their hunting? Yeah, one more thing real quick that I, we didn't cover yet, and this was some studies that were done at, at UC Berkeley just a couple of years ago looking at uh, mammals around the world, uh, hoofed mammals particularly, and what they found was deer have a unique ability, so do some other mammals like goats and horses and, and cattle, um, to spin their eyes independently in different directions. And you're going, what, you know, why would they need to do that? Well, here's what happens. When a deer is standing there with its head up, looking at its surroundings or scanning surroundings, we talked about that horizontal field of view, you know, going from ear to ear, scanning out there. Well, what happens when the deer lowers its head to the ground to pick up an acorn uh, or an apple? Is it just staring into the ground with that horizontal field of view? Actually, it's not. What happens is, as it pivots its head down, the eyes rotate independently in opposite directions. The left eye spins counterclockwise, and the right eye spins clockwise along an axis. If you imagine a line coming straight out of the back of the eye through the pupil, like Superman shooting you know, heat rays out of his eyes, the, eye, the eyes are spinning around that axis. Uh, so not rolling up in their head, but literally rotating left to right if that makes sense um and one eye goes about 50 degrees one way and the other eye goes about 50 degrees the other so about 100 degrees difference that's huge and what ends up happening is when the head gets to the ground level the horizontal pupils are still aligned with each other and aligned with the horizon they never lose that uh awareness and visualization of their surroundings so you know, you're sitting at the dinner table. Bend over and put your nose in your food. Um, what do you see? Just the food. <laughs> Just the food. That's right. But when a deer does that, they still see everything around them as if their head was still up looking around. And that's pretty amazing to me. If you, again, anybody who owns horses or goats or things like that or has somebody who has some they could go look at, next time you're standing near one, look at his pupil and you'll see that it's, you'll see the horizontal slot. Uh, if you can find it, sometimes on these dark colored eyes, you, it's difficult to see. And then when the horse or goat or whatever lowers its head to the ground to graze, get down and look. And you'll see, wow, that horizontal pupil is still horizontal and parallel to the ground. It did not spin, it did not, you know, just aim into the ground. So what's the take home there? The take home is you're in your stand. There's a deer in front of you. You're trying to get drawn and it lowers its head to the ground to pick up an acorn. That doesn't mean that's the time to draw they can still spot your movement and, and nail you just as easily with their head down eating as uh, they can with their head up. So really, when it when you've got a, a deer in bow range and you're trying to decide when to draw, uh, and it's, you know, and short of, say, the deer walking away from you and you know you're in that kind of 60-degree uh, blind zone in the back, short of that, you really have to try to get the deer's head behind a tree or in some other way literally block their vision from seeing you before you make your move. Now, sometimes deer can be so relaxed or, uh, you know, maybe young and innocent and ignorant or whatever it might be that you might get away with drawing 
you know, if you're able to draw slowly and carefully and not move your upper body a whole lot, um, and you've been practicing enough, you're strong enough, your strength is up, that you can make that drawing movement slow and hold that, you'll be fine many times. But really, you're not totally safe drawing on a deer with its head down if its eyes can still, if you can see its eyes, it can see you. Yeah. No, I think that that in my, especially my younger years of bow hunting when I was 13 or 14, it was, it's like a false sense of confidence when they put their head down and then, you know, I'm shooting a, a bow that's a 40 pound draw and I shoot and then they, and they duck, you know, two and a half foot. And I'm like, there's no way they they were watching me that entire time. Like they might have not reacted to it, but it's just, it's so interesting that, you know, that their, their eyes do rotate and they're, they're watching that whole picture the entire time they're reactive to it it's it's really like it's really baffling if you think about it it is i mean it's amazing and um, you know think about us as primates uh or as say hunter together societies that tended to live in groups you know we had the advantage of a lot of eyes watching for things but you also had your hands and if you're sitting there crouched by your hunter gatherer fire roasting a deer shoulder um, you can pick up that shoulder with your hand and hold it to your mouth and eat while your eyes watch around you. Um, a deer can't do that. You know, a deer can only eat with its by putting its mouth down where the food is. And so this ability to put your mouth down on the dirt and forage and browse on things while your eyes continue to see the, the, uh, the woods and the horizon around you. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, man, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast with me. I would, Love to have you uh, back on another time to talk about maybe a different subject, but this has been extremely inform like informative just to me, and I know the listeners are going to get a ton of value from this. So, thank you, Lindsay. I really appreciate you jumping on. Christian, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it, man. Good to meet you. And uh, uh, anytime, folks, want more information like this, QDMA.com. We've got a ton of it. Yeah, no, this is a relationship that I really wanted to start and foster. And I know you guys are subject matter experts in all things that have to do with deer. And so I look forward to talking to you guys about some, you know, some other things and, and also doing some myth busting in the, in the future. <laughs> We'd love to do it. Hey guys, thank you so much for consuming the Hunter's Advantage podcast. We really appreciate it. And we really do do the podcast for you all. And just to stay in tune with that and what you guys want to hear, feel free to message us on Facebook or Instagram on who you would like to see on the podcast next.